thank you all. That, that was a wonderful introduction, and we did have a wonderful time. I want to talk with you today about, really, on three subjects. Uh, one's going to be my testimony. Uh, the other's going to be on our Behold a Man trip to Israel, which we just discussed. And the other is a, is a challenge to you on leadership a, as men in our community. And I'm going to try and get this to work. There we go. All right, so before I left on my journey, uh, Charles Waring called me and asked me, would I, would I be willing to speak? I also need to give you this caveat. I'm not going to be speaking on the national church litigation. So <laughs> I've had much inquiry in the last week about that. I, I'm not prepared or uh, uh, really capable to talk about that. So anyway, I'm not going to be talking about that. So Charles asked me to send a photograph and also to send a biography of myself. And so I sent him uh, this picture. This is a portrait that my good friend uh, Claude Buckley painted some years ago. And um, it's just waiting for me to retire. So <laughs> I love my job, so I'm not quite ready to retire. Uh, but I sent that one, and I started thinking, well, I don't know that that's really the right uh, picture to send. And so I sent this one. <laughs> This is my self-portrait. I call it Chihuly and Me. And this was taken at the Chihuly Sculpture Garden in Seattle back in the spring. My children tell me I, can't, I take the worst selfies, so I was, I was taking selfies and practicing, and that's, that's what I got out of that one. So, so let, me, let me tell you a little bit about my testimony, and then uh, I'll go into the, to the rest of this. So you should know I was, I was born here in Charleston. Uh, to Betty Hanahan Clark, this is my mother sitting here at the front table, and my father was Gene Scarborough, and he was from Columbia, South Carolina. We moved to Camden, South Carolina, where I started the first grade. I went through grades 1 through 12 in Camden, uh, in the public school system, and Grace Episcopal Church in that beautiful little town. In 1976, I went off to Sewanee, the University of the South, to go to college, and um, like any good college boy, I hardly darkened the door of All Saints Chapel, except for those uh, official functions which took place there. Uh, my, my second cousin, Frank Grumble, was the president of the Order of Gownsmen. He was always carrying the mace around and wearing the robe, and so I would go to those things. But church was just not a big part of my life, despite my mother constantly sending me Guidepost magazine <laughs> and telling me about how the Lord could change my life. So... After, after graduating from Swanee, I went to law school at the University of South Carolina. Uh, and that's during that time period is when I met my wife, Mary. And the day I met Mary was at a, a pre-wedding party for Ed Buckley when he was marrying Suzanne. And uh, two weeks before they got married, and I got struck by the thunderbolt, and I bird-dogged Mary around that party until she finally spoke to me. And we've been together ever since. This is a picture of my family. Current, this is a current picture. Mary's in the middle. Ross, Elizabeth, and Thomas in that order. So Mary and I were married in Charleston in January of 1986. We lived in Columbia for five years. Uh, at that time, I was with the state court prosecutor's office in Lexington County. In 1987, Columbia celebrated what they call their ecumenical year. And in that year, they had a Billy Graham crusade at the williams Bryce Stadium. So I went to, the, went to the Billy Graham crusade. I was way up in the upper deck. And when the call came from Billy Graham to come on down and give yourself over to Christ, I just 
found myself walking down those steps and down those steps and down those steps till I got to the field. And it was at, on that field in 1987, in September of 87, that I, that I first made my public pronouncement of, of my willingness to give myself to Christ. I turn around, and there's a fellow named Jim Huff who worked with me in the solicitor's office standing right behind me. And so he and I started having that conversation, and we started talking about that. Then I started, I did start to go to church. We started attending Trinity Cathedral, where I served as an usher, and church began to take on more meaning to me. Our first child, Ross, was born in Columbia and baptized on Easter Eve in 1991. And as I was holding that child in my arms, I just watched the Holy Spirit moving through him. I could just see it, his eyes moving, his body twitching. And it was just, you could just feel the Spirit moving through Ross. So Mary and I decided we had to raise him up right, so we moved to the low country. So... <laughs> So here we are. So we looked at several churches, and then we came, and we ended up at St. Michael's, and that was in 1993. I first got involved as an usher, then I got on the vestry, and Elizabeth and Thomas were born, and that's where we have been ever since for the last 25 years. I thought it was important to get my family to church, and that we attend as a family, something which had been largely absent in, in my upbringing. It was also absent in Mary's upbringing. Mary's family went to three different churches. Mother went one place, father went someplace, sister went someplace. Mary and I talked about that, and it was important that we bring our family together in one place. My mother was very instrumental in my faith upbringing, but my father was not. He was largely absent. In fact, one of my comments to him uh, in a session that we had one-on-one -on -one, one time was my, my fondest memory of him was, quote, not being there. He just was absent in our lives in a, in a major way in some really important parts of our life. And that, was, that opened up a door and that we were able to open that door and walk through that door later in life. And we sort of crossed that bridge and made sure that we spent that time together uh, as we got older. One of my mothers in my life, my mother's good friend Lenora Kirkland had told me when Mary and I were getting married, the husband is the head of the household and is responsible for making sure his family is raised in the church. And that really struck a chord with me. This was before children and before anything else. But I took that to heart and I have not been disappointed in taking on the responsibility for my family. And gentlemen, neither should you. When our children complained about going to church on Sundays, I told them it was not negotiable that we were gonna go to church as a family. That was what we were gonna do. And there'll be a lot of belly aching, but you just made them get up and go. As you know, the one who complains the most is usually the one that controls what goes on in the family. But that's the one you pick up and you grab them. Even if you're getting there late, you get, you get there to church. As a father, I was just not gonna let that happen to my family. It's something we, as men, need to show leadership about in our families. My children each attended James Island Christian School early in their uh, school careers where they were further grounded in the Bible. Every week we had to learn a Bible lesson. And that when Michael started to learn a little bit more about the Bible at James Island Christian. Oh, how there are lessons to be learned in that book. I see them being enacted every week in my courtroom. People would come in front of me and they start telling me their story. And a lot of times I can stop them and tell them, I know how this is going to turn out. 
And they always look at me with this incredulous look on their face. And they go, well, how did you know? And I say, you know, I read it in a book somewhere. <laughs> and they want to know where that book is. And that book is readily available to all of us. And it is the Bible. And it is the lesson book for life. I have found it to be the lesson book for life. They don't give you a manual to raise children with, and they don't give you a manual for life. But you can learn from other people's mistakes and hopefully not make them as much as, as we all do. So meanwhile, I was practicing law and trying to provide for my family. In 1990, excuse me, in 2002, there was an opportunity to run for the judge seat of the Charleston County Master in Equity. It was at that time held by my friend Roger Young. He was running for a circuit court judgeship. I touched base with a lot of folks to let them know of my interest, and as my law practice had centered more and more on real estate disputes, and that's generally where they go. Uh, well, as luck would have it, Roger didn't get elected, so there was no opening in the seat. And so there was an opening on the family court bench. So my friends and supporters called me on the phone and said, well, Michael, there's a judgeship available on the family court. And I'm like, oh, no, I don't want I said. I said, worst case scenario there is I win. I just could not. I, the first thing I did in my practice once I went solo was to leave that family court practice behind. And I have never, never regretted that. So a year later, two, 2003, Roger walks onto the circuit court bench. And I came in behind him as the Charleston County Master in Equity, having been selected by our delegation and appointed by then Governor Sanford. God's timing is perfect. Just before I'd gone on the bench, Mary and I attended Curcio number 139 at Camp St. Christopher. This was a pivotal moment in my walk with Christ because it was in that short weekend that I came to realize that I could have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. He could be my Lord and Savior. I adopted Matthew 7 verse 7 as my Bible verse. Ask and you will receive, seek, and you will find, knock, and the door will be opened to you. I have found this to be so true in my life. Most of my personal moments with Jesus have reflected in physical manifestations. I just feel things. I recall praying in the chapel at St. Christopher and just asking him to take my burdens from me, my work, family concerns, financial matters, and I literally just felt a huge weight just lift off of my body. The burden was heavy, but the load was lifted right off of me. Even today, when I pray that prayer, during times of turmoil and trouble, I can feel him lift my heavy load, and I pray this a lot, and I pray especially for my children and their path in life. The latest physical manifestation of this was just last week while we were on the Behold the Man pilgrimage to Israel. Early on in our journey, I'm going to show you a picture now. This is, this is me and my friend Ken McKeithen. Ken and I were roommates at Sewanee for two and a half years, and he lives in uh, Bradenton, Florida. So early on in our journey, we went to the River Jordan to be baptized, to be rebaptized, I should say. And this is a picture of me coming out of the water with Mike Lumpkin having prayed over me. That's in the River Jordan. So after it was my turn and watching that of my friend Ken McKeithen, who went with me, I felt a, literally a cleaning of my heart. It was like a windshield wiper just washing my heart away. 
It was just so palpable, I just couldn't believe it. And I, and I just feel that, that wife just washing away all the sins and burdens of my life. It, would just, it was like I was washed clean that day. And that was a refreshing, exciting moment while on the pilgrimage and certainly set the tone for me for the rest of that journey. It was just a wonderful, wonderful experience. Again, God's timing has been critical. I was actually scheduled to go on this pilgrimage in 2014, and that was with my brother Gene. A week before the trip was to commence, I got a call from the Chief Justice. I had a problem in my office, and that problem needed to be addressed, and it needed to be addressed right away, and I was not going to be going on that trip to Israel in 2014. So I had to take care of those issues, and even though I'm a little slow to catch on to things, but when the Chief Justice says you're not going, I got the message, and I did not go. So it only took me three and a half years to get on this trip, but I have enjoyed it ever since. I wanted to show you some more pictures of the, the trip, and I'll, I'll be glad to answer some questions later when we get through, but this is, of course, the baptism. Here's where we were walking in the desert, uh, and it's pretty bleak. This is between... Um, Jericho, the road from Jericho to Jerusalem is where we're walking at this point in time. And this was an opportunity for us to spend, again, some, some time with, um, in thought and prayer with our Lord and Savior. We just spent a lot of time. In the, we, spent, we went on that same hike twice. It was, it was pivotal. This is me uh, standing at the top of Mount Arbel, and this is when we were headed to Capernaum up to the um, Sea of Galilee. And we, we climbed down that mountain that day with Mike Lumpkin exhorting us. He goes, less of me and more of him. Less of me and more of him. Less of me and more of him. That was good. We had just had a huge storm come through there, too. If the storm had gotten us wet, we'd have fallen off that mountain. But we didn't. Uh, this is sunrise at the Mount of Beatitudes from the Sermon on the Mount. Just an absolutely drop-dead, gorgeous place. Just wonderful. Just wonderful. And an opportunity for prayer, thought, and reflection at the Mount of Beatitudes. And then this is uh, upon arrival in Jerusalem. This is my first view of Jerusalem. We've gone up to Jerusalem. This is, of course, the Temple on the Mount, the um, Holy Sepulchre in the background. And this is, this is the first picture I took of Jerusalem as we arrived, coming from, uh, at, that, at that time, we were coming back from uh, Jericho. We went back to Jericho that day. And then... This is me, my friend Ken, and this uh, the third fellow here is Peter Walker. And Peter Walker has written the book, Walking in the Footsteps of Jesus, and he was our leader on this. And, and everywhere we went, uh, Peter had his book with him, and everywhere we went, they recognized Peter for who he was. And all of a sudden, Peter's taken over, and he's leading the discussions on whatever place we're at. And so the last night we were there, we had a nice little skit, and one of the skit programs was, I'm Peter Walker, buy my book, buy my book. <laughs> So they picked Peter out. He's a good Englishman. He's a little stiff, but he's a good guy. <laughs> but we had a wonderful time. And this, of course, is at the, this is the hotel in Jerusalem, and we're right across from the, the walls of the, of the old church. This is a shameless promotion for Charles Waring. My friend Russ Gant was there. He was in the Mercury that I took with me. And so I, I asked Russ if he would reenact together. So this is, this is for my friend Charles for asking me to be up here. That's that Carolina Compass, which, of course, is out again now for you to pick up at any time. And then finally, this is their last night in Jerusalem. Actually, this is at Jaffa. This is the sun setting at Jaffa. We got a chance to go on the beach and 
I didn't swim, but I did walk in the water a little bit and just spend some time in thought and prayer and just what a beautiful, beautiful place that was that we got to spend time doing. So, gentlemen, I think each one of us should have our own scripture verse for their life. For me, as I've told you, it's Matthew 7, 7. For my brother Gene, it's Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Jeremiah 29:11. I, I would encourage you, if you don't have such a, such a uh, scripture verse to follow in your life, that it would be a good start to go. So on this thoughts of leadership, let me just say this. One, you are the head of the family. You need to be responsible for seeing that your children and your grandchildren are brought up in the church. It will save them a lot of time and trouble understanding the way to see the world as they grow up. From Deuteronomy 11:19, teach your children in the ways of the Lord, and when they grow up, they will not depart from it. Two, in this current wave of a lack of male assertiveness, we need to remember that men are a source of strength and power in the world. The opposite of abuse of power, this really struck me, this was spoken to us on the, on the journey. The opposite of abuse of power is not the non-use of power, it's the right use of power. Abuse of power is not using power in the proper way. The right use of power is what we need to be able to step up into and lead. I think it is our destiny as men and our families and our community that we step up and lead in this fashion. From Ephesians 5.25, as you well know, husbands, love your wives as the Lord loved his church and gave himself up for her. That's what we do. And then that will lead, I'm convinced, to wives loving their husbands and submitting to them and respecting them. I think respect is one of the strongest words that we use um, with, with our spouses. My favorite hymn is Stand Up, Stand Up for Jesus. You need to stand up for what you believe. It needs to make sense. It needs to be meaningful for you in your life and the way you share in your life with others. Three, submit to proper authority. You will not be lost or disappointed in the leadership example of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He has a message for each one of us. Four, and this was very difficult for me, admit that you are a sinner and life will fall into place. I have to admit that every morning I wake up. None of us are without sin or blemish, and especially me. I'm the least likely person I know of to be standing here before you today. Anyone here, I think, is more likely to be speaking to this gathering than myself. But the Lord works in strange and mysterious ways. And I can assure you that when I was in law school, I was the most likely candidate for least likely to become a judge in my law school class. <laughs> I, they didn't vote on that, but I think I've confirmed that with some of my classmates. So finally, how do we move forward in our lives? Well, one is fellowship, just as we're doing here today a group of fellow believers. Two is communion in a group or small setting. We spend time sharing with each other. Three, prayer. Learn to speak with God and to have a relationship with him. We do this through reading the Bible and speaking with him in prayer. And if you're like me, you need to spend more time with your spouse, learning what it is that makes them tick. 
I've been recommended the book, The Five Love Languages, and I recommend it to each one of you uh, to spend time in your marriage. And finally, God has authority in this life and the next one. If you proclaim that, your world will come together, and it'll be a seamless movement from one end to the other. I've found that to be the case. Even on this past Sunday when I went for prayers at St. Michael's during communion, I asked for my burdens to be lifted, and once again, I could feel the weight just rise from my shoulders. What a blessing to feel that burden lifted off of us. I wish for you the same. So, with the help of God and a few friends, we get up and we try it again each day until we, until we succeed and we get to where we want to be. I bless for you the peace of the Lord with you, remain with you this day and always, and I thank you very much for coming.